We started talking about this last week and um, started a new series of messages called Who's Your Daddy? And, and uh, the reason we're talking about this is because uh, the scripture tells us, and we read this last week in the book of Peter, where it says that uh, whatever, uh, uh, that, that we can be mastered by different things. And it says that um, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And you know as well as I do that we have a tendency as human beings from time to time to really get stuck on one or two things and that become the whole focus of our life. And if we're not careful, pretty soon we can be mastered by something other than being mastered by Jesus. And the scripture tells us that we can either choose to be a son of God or we can choose to be a slave to sin. And we all start this, this earth, we all start off uh, with our just very nature of how we are when we're born. We're born into sin. We're born as sinful creatures. So we start off with this sin nature that we, uh, that we will naturally give into. But then we have a chance to accept Christ. We have a chance to believe that what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection was real and a chance to trust in that. And then through that, we can become the sons and daughters of God. That's what the Scripture tells us. But even after we do that, if we're not careful, we can be mastered by different things. And sometimes the things we can be mastered by seem like good things. They seem like acceptable things. And that's one of the things I want us to talk about today. I told you last week that starting today and the next week and and then the following week, we're going to talk about three very normal things, three very normal things that that can become sinful in our lives, that, that things that can master us. And I told you last week that a lot of times when we think about someone being a slave to sin, we think about people who are completely strung out on, on drugs or, the, or they've got some kind of lust issue that's made them lose their whole families. Or we think about people who are serving time for their sins. And that's when we think, oh, those are the people that are slaves to sin. But like I told you last week, all of us can be mastered by sin, and we can be mastered by very normal sins that are acceptable in society. And and we're going to talk about three of those, and and the one we're going to talk about today is being mastered by food. And I know you're thinking, oh, Cliff, I don't want to listen to this, right? Mastered by food. What are you talking about? But uh, my daddy used to always joke, that he said he grew up, my daddy is um, 67 years old, and he's been going to a Baptist church his whole life. And he always joked, he said, yeah, I never heard any of those big, fat Baptist preachers ever preach a, uh, a sermon on gluttony, right? You know? He said, they'll talk a lot about sex and you know, all this other bad stuff, but they won't talk about gluttony. Well, today we're going to talk about being mastered by food, not just gluttony, but the Bible does use that term. But we're going to talk about what it means to be mastered by food and how that is so easy to happen and then why it can be very dangerous. If, you, if you've ever spent much time reading the Bible, you know that the Bible has a lot to say about food, especially the Old Testament. You read through the Old Testament, and it seems like it was just this obsession with food and making sure you're eating foods that are clean or, and not eating foods that are unclean. And they had verses and, and chapters after chapter about things like uh, the proper way to, uh, uh, to prepare the food. And, and you read through like Leviticus and, uh, and parts of Deuteronomy, 
and that's just some riveting reading there through Leviticus about, you know, all the, I'm kind of kidding with that. I'm not making fun of the Bible, but there's parts of the Bible that are more interesting than others. And Leviticus is some of that that you just have to, you have to plow through it because it's verse after verse about don't eat these kind of animals and prepare it this way and pull the fat out and do something separate with that and make sure you put the blood over here. And it's just all this stuff about food. And the reason that was in the Old Testament was because of the law of God. The, the law of God that, that was put in place, and by the way, the law was not put in place so that people could be righteous enough to get to God on their own. The law was put in place to help us understand that we can never be righteous enough. And so people would try to follow these laws, and they knew they couldn't, and that's why it was pointing the way to Jesus, who would come in the New Testament, and Jesus fulfilled the law, is what we know about him. And in, in fact, Jesus talked about fulfilling the law, and he talked about what that meant in the area of food. Look at Mark chapter 7, 18 and 19. Just look at this on the screen. Mark chapter 7, 18 and 19. He's got these Pharisees that are asking him questions and trying to trick him, and they're asking him about clean and unclean foods. And I love it, Jesus, the way he starts this conversation with him. Everybody thinks Jesus was so nice, never insulted anybody. And basically he says here at the beginning, y'all are stupid, because he says, are you so dull he asked, you know, say that to your wife one day, fellas, and see how that goes over. Are you so dull that you, I mean, that, don't do that, all right? But Jesus says, are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? And now this next verse that I'm going to read to you is one of my favorite things Jesus ever said, because those of you who know me know that I like to make jokes about stuff that you're not supposed to talk about at the table, right? And and this is Jesus. He's just breaking it down just as, as, as clear as he can be. Because look what he says here in verse 19. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. So Jesus is saying here, listen, stupids. If you eat something, it's going to go through your digestive tract and come out the other end. So it can't make you unclean because it doesn't go to your heart. And then it says in parentheses there, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So when Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of the law. Now, you don't have to worry anymore about, oh, can I eat this animal or can I eat that animal and how do I prepare this and what do I do with the fat and all that kind of stuff. Jesus said none of that stuff matters because what you put into your body doesn't stay there. What you put into your body cannot make you unclean. But we still struggle with food today on a different level. We no longer have to worry about clean and unclean foods. We also no longer have to worry about, because this was an issue in the New Testament, about whether you're eating foods that had been sacrificed to idols. You see, there were these different religions back then, and they would take their best steak or whatever, and they would lay it on the altar and sacrifice it to this idol. And then you might come over for supper, and they serve you that steak. And there was all this controversy in the church about, well, do you go to your unsaved friend's house and eat this steak that they sacrificed to Ra, the sun god, or whoever it was they were sacrificing it to? And there was all this stuff. You, we don't have to worry about that anymore either. I doubt your neighbors are inviting you over for a cookout to eat burgers that they sacrificed to some pagan god before you showed up. That's not an issue either. But we still have issues with food today, do we not? And the main issue we have today is that we live in a culture and in a country that is obsessed with food and is obsessed with food that's not good for us. And I thought about, try, oh, you, all right, I wasn't ready for that yet, but that's cool. Um, I thought about getting some statistics to, to share with you to let you know that, and I said, 
Why bother getting statistics? You know it's true. And then I came across this picture and I said, this is better than any statistic. Do you know, anybody know what this is? Yeah, somebody, somebody said it right here. And Ted knows in the back. This is a new, they call it a sandwich from Kentucky Fried Chicken, which by the way now goes by KFC because they don't want you to know that it's fried anymore, right? This is a new sandwich from KFC called the Double Down, right? They've just, they've just gotten rid of the bread altogether and said, let's take two big fat pieces of, of fried meat and put cheese and bacon and mayonnaise in between them and serve that as a sandwich. Now, if that, yeah, that's right. Awesome, right? If that's not a picture of what's wrong in our society about food, I don't know what is. But here's what's worse than that. When that came out, when I started seeing the commercials for it, I thought, man, i got to have one of those. I want one of those. I, mean, I started thinking, I'm going to go and order two of them. So I have four big pieces of meat. Now, I've never eaten one but because this gets into another area of my life. I don't want to pay five bucks for something at a fast food restaurant. But if they ever lower the price of $2, I'm all over that, right? And I know you are too. And that's just a good example of what's wrong in our society today when it comes to the area of food. We've got this, we've got this, this society we live in that's always pushing us, pushing us, pushing us towards what the Bible calls gluttony. Now, in the Bible, most of the, the passages of Scripture that talk about gluttony, it's mostly directed at rich people. Because back in those times, the rich people were the only ones who could really afford to be gluttons. The majority of folks in Bible times, they were just trying to survive day-to-day, meal-to-meal. But there were a, a very small percentage of people who, who were rich that they could afford to be gluttons. But, but today, we, we don't have to worry about being rich. Even regular working folks like you and me, we can still be gluttons in the society we live in because of things like the double down and all this other stuff. I was thinking the other day, uh, Ryan's has changed their slogan. I don't know if you've seen it on the, the top of Ryan's Steakhouse to what'd you get? Have you seen that? It says, what'd you get? That's what they've changed it to. And I thought to myself, well, if you eat at Ryan's, I can tell you what'd you get. You got diabetes and you got heart disease and you got so big you were afraid to sit in a chair without it crushing under your weight, right? I mean, that, if you eat everything that they advertise today, you're, that's what's going to happen to you. But the reason that, that getting mastered by food, I think, is so easy and it's so common with all of us, is I, I, there's two reasons I think that it's so easy. One is, is that you need to eat to live, don't you? It's, it's not like you can just say, you're right, I'm mastered by food, I'm not eating anymore. No, you got to eat. So it, it's different than like, I've got uh, friends of mine that, that uh, have struggled with alcohol and, and have, have gone through AA and things like that. And, and I'll never forget, I was having a conversation with one friend, and uh, he said, you know, I, I just had to, when I realized, I just had to totally never drink again. And I couldn't have it in my house. I couldn't go to places where everybody else was drinking because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And he said, my wife had a hard time figuring that out and understanding that. And she even said to me one time, I don't understand why you can't have one glass of wine with me at supper. And he said, because if I drink one glass of wine, I'm going to drink the whole bottle. And then I'm going to go back and find out if there's another bottle in the house. He said, I, that's just the way I am. 
And with food, some of us are the same way, but we can't just get food out of the house. We can't do like an alcoholic and say, you know what, I'm addicted to food. I'm not going to have it anymore in the house, and I'm not going to eat it anymore. That's not going to happen. If you're going to try that, you're going to meet Jesus way before I'm going to meet Jesus, probably, because you're going to starve to death. And so that's one reason why getting addicted to food is so so easy because we have to eat every three or four or five, six hours. That desire is going to come back. Another reason why getting mastered by food, I believe, is so easy is because it's acceptable. It's just acceptable. You got people that cook stuff for you. I mean, you can be, you know, just mastered by food and it be your addiction and somebody's going to make you a cake, right? And no, there's, there's regular, I've rarely heard of anybody coming up to someone else, to a friend and say, you know, you really need to lay off. You're getting kind of big. We just don't do that to each other, right? You'll go to a friend that's, that's got another addiction that you think is killing them and say, hey, don't do this anymore. But then your friend that's dying because they eat way too much and, and their, their arteries are getting clogged, you'll go with them to Ryan's, right? And say, what'd you get as you walk out the door? And so it's an acceptable thing to be mastered by food in our society. But I, I think the Bible has a lot of good stuff to say. And I think there's three important uh, issues that the Bible addresses that can help us. If we will look at what Scripture says, that will help us if we are mastered by food. The first one is this. Your body is a guest house. Your body is a guest house. Recently, I was flipping through the channels, and, uh, and we'll, we'll preach a message, some other series about being mastered by TV, because I'm still dealing with that myself. But I was flipping through the channels, and I came across Animal Planet, and there was this show on Animal Planet called uh, The Monster Inside Me. Have any of you seen this show, The Monster Inside Me? You talk about some nasty stuff, that this will make you lose your appetite. Maybe this is a good thing to do. Watch this right before you eat, and then you won't eat anything. But The, monst- the Monster Inside Me is a whole show about parasites that people have found living in them. And it's just nasty stuff. You know, they pull worms out of people and just all kind of, you know, junk that you don't even want to talk about in church. And I'm talking about it. But, but people, it's, it's just this nasty stuff that people have parasites living in them. They didn't know it. So they've got an uninvited guest living inside their body that they were walking around with. Well, if you have accepted Christ, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if there was a time in your life when you gave your life to Jesus and you accepted him into your life to forgive you of your sins. The Bible tells us that you have a guest living inside your body. But this guest is not a parasite. It's the guest of the Holy Spirit. Look at what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, in the the Old Testament times and and even up until Jesus' day when when Jesus came and started turning everything religious on its head, before that, the the Jews believed that the temple was the place where God's presence was, that the presence of God was always in the temple. And so they had this building that they built 
And, and, and that's where they would go and do their sacrifices because that was where the presence of God was. That's why today, people who are Jewish today, if you have Jewish friends, they don't continue to practice animal sacrifice because the temple is gone. That's where they would go and do the animal sacrifice was to the temple. And so they believed that that was where the presence of God dwelled. And so when Paul says there, listen, your body is a temple and the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside you. We, we no longer have the, the physical temple in Jerusalem where people come where we believe the presence of God is. But what we've got is we've got a bunch of little temples walking around all over the face of the earth. And we know that the presence of God dwells inside each one of them. If you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside you. So we have a responsibility according to this scripture. It says, therefore, honor God with your body. We have a responsibility to to, to honor the Holy Spirit, to honor God by the way we take care of the temple that the Holy Spirit lives in. So what does that have to do with food? Well, well, think about this for a minute. If you had someone come into your house to stay as a guest, someone that you cared about, someone that you wanted to impress, someone that you wanted everything to be perfect for them while they were at your house, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's uh, someone famous, Maybe it's your hero, whoever it might be. But you want this room that they're going to stay in, you've got everything perfect, and that's the way you want it for their guest stay, for, for their stay at your house. Would you then, once you got it all perfect, take a, gar a, a garbage bag that's got your weekly garbage in it, and you pull it out of the trash can, and it's got that garbage juice dripping out of the bottom, and would you then take that into that bedroom where they're going to stay and just open it up and dump it on the floor? And then you go outside and you work in the yard all day and you weed eat and you've got grass all over your pants and your shirt's muddy because you've been digging a trench and you're, just, and you're sweaty and you're stank and then you walk into their bedroom and you take all your clothes off, you strip down to your drawers and throw that in there on top of the bed that they're going to be staying. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because this is a guest room and you want it to be nice. You're not going to put garbage in there. You're not going to put old sweaty clothes in there. But when it comes to our bodies... Every day, the Holy Spirit is the guest living in our body, and we'll take garbage and junk that we know is bad for us, that we know, and we'll just put it into that temple where the Holy Spirit is. Man, I hope you like this, God. I know it's pretty nasty, but I hope you're going to just move over to the side while I dirty up your temple in there, while I dirty up the guest house for you. Get out of the way. And that's the way we live. But if we would remember that, that, the Holy Spirit lives inside us, it should change the way we eat. My wife recently went to a, a women's conference and, uh, and she came back and her and the other ladies that went, they were all appalled at this one speaker because she came out and, um, and I've never seen her, but I think from what they told me by the way she looks, she's kind of got a food, mastered by food problem maybe. And, uh, and so... She came out and made jokes the entire time about, yeah, I don't worry about the way my body looks because the Bible says I'm going to get a new one when I die and go to heaven. So I can just do whatever I want. And, and just was really making fun of the whole idea of trying to take good care of your body on earth because she said the scripture has promised her that she's going to get a new body in heaven. Yes, that's true. When we die, if you're a follower of Christ, we're going to get a new body in heaven. And some of you are like, hallelujah, right? Finally. Well, we're going to have this perfect body in heaven. I guess we're all going to be like Brad Pitt or something. I don't know. And is that a perfect... Well, let's don't get into if that's a perfect body or not. 
Ladies, I'm sorry I made your mind go there. Just block that out, all right? But we're going to have a perfect body in heaven. But here's the thing. Just because we're going to get a perfect body in heaven, that doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want with this body right now. Yes, we'll have a perfect body in heaven, but we also are going to have to answer to how well we took care of the body that the Holy Spirit resides in right now. And we're going to have to answer for that. And so if we will remember that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, I think it would help us when we start thinking about our food problem and whether or not we're mastered by food. The second thing that the Scripture teaches that I think is, is so important in this area of being mastered by food is this. Eating is worship. Eating is worship. And some of you are like, that's what I've been trying to tell you, Cliff. Eating is worship. I want you to go ahead and don't, don't put the Scripture up yet, Mike, but I want you to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn there. The rest of the Scripture you can read on the screen, but go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to read some verses from there in just a minute. But I know, you know, when you hear that eating is worship, you think, yeah, I can, I can understand that. And believe me, I, my birthday was a few weeks ago, and Sherry made me an egg custard pie. And man, she took that thing out of the oven, and I ate a piece of it while it was still warm. And it was, you know, I was just, I was just like almost raising my hands in worship. <laughs> it was so good. And I know you feel that way sometimes. You go to a barbecue buffet, and you feel like just shouting out hallelujah when they put the hash on your plate, right? It's just, whoo, man, yes. And, it, and we, can, we can agree with that, right? Eating is worship. But it's, it's more than that. It's different than that. And, and there's a great story in the book of Daniel that makes this point. See, Daniel was a, a young guy that, that lived in, 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 a, in Jerusalem. And at this time, another country came and, and took over Jerusalem. And this country was named Babylon. And there was a guy, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And he gets a lot of airtime in the scripture about different things that he did. And, and in what Nebuchadnezzar did is when he took over Babylon, he was a pretty smart guy. Because he didn't just destroy everything and kill all the men. What he did is he said, let's take the smartest young men, the ones that are doing best in school, the ones that are uh, most accomplished in their different careers, and we're going to take them and we're going to uh, bring them back to Babylon with us. We're not going to kill them, but we're going to bring them back to Babylon and we're going to teach them to be good Babylonians. We're going to feed them our food. We're going to teach them our stories. We're going to teach them our language. We're going to put them in jobs in our, in our uh, society. And we're going to teach them to be good Babylonians. Well, Daniel and three of his buddies were, were some of these guys that got taken over there. And look at, look at what happens once Daniel gets over there. Look at this story. Daniel 1, starting with verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for, per, for permission not to defile himself this way. They got him over here, and they're feeding them what the king eats. So this is supposed to be the best food in the country. But for Daniel, it was not in keeping with what the religious laws that he had been raised on said that he could eat. So he resolved, I'm not going to eat this stuff. Then look at verse 9, the next verse. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And when he says have my head, that's literal. 
right? It's not a figure of speech. What he's saying is, if you don't do, if you don't eat this stuff, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar finds out that I'm the one that didn't make you eat it, he's going to cut my head off. Look at verse 11. Daniel comes up with this idea. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. By the way, you know who those three guys, any, know them by any other names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the, uh, the, but their, their Jewish names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, when I was growing up in Sunday school, and maybe you did too, they would tell us this story, and then the moral of the story was, eat your vegetables. I mean, it really was it. I mean, in Sunday school, they would tell this story and pretty much say, see, vegetables are good. And then I would go home, and I would refuse to eat my broccoli. Still, it, it never, it never uh, clicked with me. But there's so much to this story more. The moral isn't just, hey, eating vegetables is good, eating meat's bad. That's not what the moral of this story is. You see, there's a bigger issue here. The bigger issue revolves around the fact when it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. For Daniel, eating was more than just a way to be healthy or not healthy. For Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everything they did was presented as a worship offering to God. Now, let me say that again so you'll understand this. Everything they did was presented as a worship offering to God. The way they studied, how hard they worked, the way they dealt with people, and including what and how they ate. It wasn't just a way to, hey, it's time to eat, let me fill my stomach. For them, it was, this was an act of worship. And if they were to eat this food that to them was considered unclean, then that would not be a way to worship God. Now, I told you earlier, we don't have to deal with clean and unclean foods anymore. But let me ask you this question. If you were to see the way you eat and what you eat as worship, how would it change the way you eat? If we really saw eating as worship, as an act of worship, how would it change the way we eat? Would it make us maybe pay less for what we eat so that we can afford to take the extra money and feed someone who doesn't have anything to eat? Would it change where you eat? Would it change what you eat, what you put into your body? Can you eat a banana split as an act of worship? I'm just asking a question here. I'm not saying that you can't, all right? But I'm just asking a question. How would it change what we eat, where we eat, how much we eat if we really viewed eating as an act of worship, more than just a way to fulfill this need, this, this feeling that we have in our gut. Now listen, this is important for you skinny people out there, all right? If, if you're one of these people that can eat whatever you want and not get fat, I just need to tell you, nobody likes you, all right? <laughs> Keith, I'm looking at Keith McCombs because he's one of them people. 
I got a buddy of mine that I graduated in high school with, and I hooked back up with him on Facebook, you know, a couple years ago, and I thought, surely these are old pictures from him from high school because he has not gained one pound since then, and the rest of us, you know, have put a lot on. But there, there are some of you out there that, that weight is just never a problem for you. You can eat what you want, and you're not going to get fat. Awesome for you. But that doesn't mean that you can't be mastered by food because this is more than just about weight. This is more than just about having a few extra pounds in the middle. It's about whether or not you are mastered by food and whether or not when you eat is it an act of worship or are you sitting there, even though you're not gaining weight, you've got to have this certain thing. Coffee, anyone? There's some of you, you're just as skinny as you can be. But if I took away your 14 cups of coffee a day, you're going to be smacking somebody in the face and cussing out your husband or wife, right? And so chances are you can be mastered by something that's not causing you to be overweight. You can be mastered by something that's maybe not even clogging your arteries, but you're still mastered by it. Because the scripture says a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And if you can't do without it, whatever kind of food it might be, you're a slave to it. And if eating is an act of worship, then it's not about slavery. It's about being a son of God. And it's about honoring God even with what you put into your body at breakfast, lunch, supper, and midnight snack. It's about honoring him with all of that. The third thing that I think the Scripture teaches us that will be helpful for us as we try to get over this food addiction that a lot of us have is that there is a fruit that can help us. There is a fruit that can help us. It's called a star fruit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm making that up. Look at Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I read those verses last week in last week's message as well. But these are, those the, in verses 22 and 23, that's a listing of qualities that should be a part of our life if the Holy Spirit really does dwell inside us, like we read about that 1 Corinthians says. If the Holy Spirit really is a guest house in our body, then we should be producing fruit. And the fruit we should be producing is the fruit that the Holy Spirit is working out in our life. And it's things like goodness and kindness and love and gentleness and all that stuff. But one of them in verse 23 is so important when it comes to this area of being mastered by food, and that is self-control. I think, I think he puts self-control last there because it's, it's probably the hardest for most of us. Because even if we're kind of mean to people, we can still convince ourselves that we're kind because we're nice to like our dog or something. Hey, I'm kind. Look at how I treat my dog, even though I was really mean to this guy at work. And we can convince ourselves that. But if we, if we don't have self-control, we can't even really lie about that. We just know it, right? And it says there that self-control is a fruit that should be developing in our life if, if the Holy Spirit lives in us. And if we're trying to overcome this being mastered by food, we've got to have that fruit in our life. We've got to have the fruit of self-control. Proverbs 25 puts it this way, 25, 27, and 28. It is not too good, it is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to seek one's own honor. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Do you see the picture that they're painting there? Back in those days, cities like Jerusalem, 
they had these gigantic walls that, that, that circled the city, and it was, they were up there to keep invading armies out. And the, the picture that's being painted there is, if you don't have self-control in your life, it's like you're a city without walls. You are opening yourself up to invasion. You're opening yourself up to bad things happening to you if you do not have self-control. And I think, it's a, I think it's a practical application of this to say that if we lack self-control in one area of our life, then it's going to be very easy for us to lack self-control in another area. If we lack self-control in the food area and we're mastered by food and we cannot stop ourselves from eating what is bad for us or eating what we don't, we know we shouldn't eat, if we lack self-control in the food area, it's not going to be long before a lack of self-control can creep into another area in our life. Maybe an area that's not as acceptable to not have self-control in. And then it's opening us, opening us up the way a city is opened up to invasion. It's opening us up to all kinds of bad things that can happen to us. You see, it's so important for self-control in the area of food because only you can control what you eat. I mean, I don't know anybody to this day that would ever tell me, yeah, the reason I got so overweight is people would hold me down and just shove food down my throat every day, right? I mean, we know that there's no excuse, nobody to blame but us. I grabbed it, I put it in my mouth, and it was awesome while it was going down. And then I noticed my waistline getting bigger and bigger every day, but I kept doing it, right? It's all up to us. So if we're going to get over this thing about being mastered by food, it's going to have to come down to the fruit of self-control. There's a great story in Scripture where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And he feeds them, of course, you know the story. There was, there was a little boy, and, and there was, he just had enough food, really, for his own lunch. Jesus passes it out. People tear it up. It continues to grow and grow and grow. And he takes food that would have fed one person, and he feeds 5,000 men plus their wives and families. So it was really more than 5,000 people that were fed. An amazing story. But after that was over, Jesus takes off, and he, he kind of goes off, wants to have some by himself time and the people follow him and look what it says in John 6 26 and 27 Jesus says something to them Jesus answered I tell you the truth you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill he's saying to him listen you're looking for me because I, I fed you in verse 27 do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus was saying there, food's good, but there's stuff in this life that is way, way more important than food. Making sure you have enough to eat is important for you to survive, but it's not the most important thing in your life. There are things way more important than what you're going to eat. You know, God is a good God. God could have made food with no taste if he wanted to. He could have designed food that where you just eat it to survive and it has no taste. There's no pleasure in it at all. But God wanted to bless us with some stuff to enjoy while he was on this earth. So he made food taste good. He made a cow taste like that, right? He knew when he designed it, you were going to cut that piece off and just sear it over a fire and you're going to eat it. And man, it was going to be juicy and awesome. And he designed your tongue with, 
with an ability to taste every different flavor with these taste buds on your tongue. It's an amazing thing that he designed food to taste good and he designed our bodies where we can taste it. But he didn't do that so that we could be mastered by it. He didn't do that so that that our whole life would be what am I going to eat for breakfast, what am I going to eat for lunch, and what am I going to eat for supper. And all the in-between time stuff doesn't really matter, but i got to get to that next meal. Because there's things way more important than food. There's the condition of our heart. See, this is really not about our bodies as much as it is about our heart. You might walk away from here today and say, man, I feel like Cliff beat me up because I'm overweight. It's not about how much you weigh. It's not about how big your pant size are. It's about what's going on in your heart. And if food or anything else is more important to you than the kingdom of God, if you're spending more of your time, money, and energy on that, if it's if it's got you mastered to where you can't stop it, then it's a heart issue, and it's not a gut issue or a big rear-end issue. It's a heart issue. And what's going on in here is what matters. And so I want to ask you this morning to be honest with yourself, not just in the area of food, but in every area. Is, are you mastered by something? Next week, we're going to talk about anger. The week after that, we're going to talk about desire and coveting. But today, we're talking about food. But, but if you might, it might not be food, but it might be something else. And, and, and you're, you're thinking, yeah, I'm mastered by food, but I'm also mastered by these three other things. If you're mastered by anything else, by anything, if it's not for, you, you're not going to be able to get over it without Jesus. Because the scripture tells us that only he is going to be able to set you free from sin. He's the only one that's going to be able to do that. And you're going to try on your own to get over this thing of food or to get over whatever else it might be. But unless you accept Christ and you give up your life to him and you say to him, I can't do this on my own, you're never going to be able to get over it. So I want you to bow your heads. And I just want you to be real honest with yourself for a moment. And if you know that you need to, um, you need to make a commitment to Christ, that you need to ask Him to help you get over the sin issue and, and no longer be a slave to sin but be a son of God, I want you to pray a prayer after me. Now these words I'm going to pray, they're, they're not magical. But if you mean them in your heart when you pray them, and if you truly desire to be a son of God, the scripture tells us that all you have to do is ask him and commit your life to him, and he will save you from your sin, and you will no longer be a slave to sin. So pray this prayer after me if you want to ask Christ to come into your heart. Jesus, I know that I'm a slave to sin. I know that I'm mastered by it. I believe you died on the cross so I don't have to be mastered by it anymore. I believe you rose from the grave to show that you are stronger than sin. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to clean me up. And I trust you and you only to fix my sin problem. 
I promise to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today and it was the first time you prayed that and, or it was the first time you prayed it and you meant it, uh, we want to know that. Um, I want you to come and talk to me or talk to and grab any of our greeters that have the name tags on or, or talk to Donnie. And uh, we want to know that you made that commitment today. And, um, and, and then we'll help you figure out what those next steps are. Now, as we get ready to leave, I want you to stand up. Go ahead and stand up. We get ready to sing this last song. Don't forget what Donnie talked about earlier about baptism. If you want to be baptized, you've got a child that, that you want to be baptized, you've got some questions about baptism, if you're out on the information table out there, grab one of those registration things and fill that out. That just helps us to get your name and your contact information so we can talk with you more about that. And you can also pick up a baptism facts sheet that tells you what it's all about, why we do it, and it'll kind of answer your questions. And, of course, we'll be glad to talk to any of you about that. We're going to sing a closing song about the greatness of our God, about how he deserves all the glory. So shout it out, sing it to him, and come back next week and bring someone with you.